0: Please remain standing for our epistle lesson and our sermon text from Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Again, give your ear to God's word. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Thus far the reading of God's word, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its comforts and for its exhortations. We thank you for the way that it reveals your son to us. We pray that you would work that in us by your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Be seated. Jesus, Christ was everything to the Apostle Paul. Paul made that clear in the beginning of this letter when he told the Philippians, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ, and and even to die is gain, for I will be with Christ. You'll remember the last time that we were in the book of Philippians, we began chapter 3. And Paul warned them about trading anything, even the very best things for Christ. He told them about his former life as a Pharisee, about all of his privileges that he had at birth and all of his accomplishments that he had made throughout his life. How he was someone who was born into God's covenant. How he had come from a devout family. Paul had the best religious and academic schooling possible, and he had been a zealous observer of the law. Paul called himself, in the beginning of chapter 3, blameless in the law. Of all of the ceremonial aspects of Judaism, and by all outward appearances, no one could lay a charge at Paul that would stick. He He was blameless. By all appearances, Paul's life and piety before coming to Christ was very impressive and he counted it all he says as rubbish as loss as dung even and we asked last time why paul what what made you change your mind about all of these things that you pursued and he says because it kept him from knowing christ christ was everything to him now that paul knew the glory of god in christ how could he turn to anything else that was the warning that he gave us last time. Knowing Christ meant that Paul no longer had a righteousness of his own, which he pursued through the law, but the very righteousness of the Son of God was given to him by faith. In other words, in theological terms, Paul found that the justification that he worked so hard to produce before God was given to him as a free gift in Christ. And more than that, knowing Christ. Meant knowing him personally by being indwelt by his Holy Spirit and sharing in Christ's sufferings in this life so that he would be conformed into Christ's death and progressively sanctified, progressively conformed into Christ's image. Paul knew that now that he had to pursue maturity in Christ rather than the flesh, also, and that's what we're going to see in our verses here today in verses 12 through 16. And then the next time we're in Philippians, we'll see also that it meant a sure hope for the resurrection of the dead. Paul knew now that he needed to pursue even glorification in Christ. When that fellowship that he has with him would be full and complete. That in the resurrection of the dead, Paul would be like Christ because, as the Apostle John says, he would see him as he is. This is what Paul laid out for us in the beginning of chapter 3 last time, but these, these privileges, these glories in Jesus are not just for Paul. That's why he wrote to the Philippians. It's because it's for every Christian. It's for every baptized Christian. In fact, this is the meaning of every baptism that you see here at this church. It's the meaning of your baptism, that you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, that your heart has been washed clean by the blood of Christ the heidelberg catechism says importantly it means that you are to be conformed to christ's death here and now so that you might have hope for the resurrection of the dead that's what paul told the roman christians in chapter six of that epistle he says don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into christ jesus were baptized into his death We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If you're here in this room and you have faith in Christ, if you have been baptized, that was a ritualization of your union with him by faith to be conformed to his death so that you might walk in a new life, so that you might pursue maturity, you might pursue sanctification in the way that Paul describes in these verses, in verses 12 through 16. So let's, let's look at them together. Beginning in verse 12, Paul says this, Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. This, I believe, really encapsulates for us how we ought to look at pursuing maturity, in Christ, how we ought to look at our sanctification in this life. In the way that Paul had described his salvation for us earlier, it might have been easy for the Philippians and for us to think that, that Paul was perfect, that Paul had obtained complete salvation. It's significant that Paul confesses here that he was not yet perfected. The completion, the, the fullness of our salvation, our resurrection, is still future Even though Christ dwells in us and is conforming us into His image, on this side of the resurrection, we will always battle with our remaining sin. We will always battle with the flesh, as Paul puts it. In his letter to the Galatians, he told them, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. And that's a very frustrating reality That we all wrestle with, and yet there's great encouragement and hope to think that even the Apostle Paul, as much ministry as he had done, as much suffering as he had endured, and as holy as his desires were, even Paul confesses here that he was still incomplete. He was still straining forward, still looking forward to the completion of salvation. And I think that gives a lot of hope to normal Christians like you and I who are struggling after Christ and desiring to follow Him and falling short in many ways. You too need to realize that as, as long as you are on this side of eternity, you will be incomplete. Remember, Paul was warning the Philippians in this chapter against the Judaizers who wanted to be perfected by the flesh. Every true Christian longs to be free from sin and failure. But it's dangerous for us to believe that we can pursue that outside of Christ or or to believe that we will arrive in this life at perfection. It will set you up for disappointment and despair if you believe that you will arrive at the point where you're complete here. We need to have this mind too. But, Paul says, even with that knowledge, in verse 12, that he presses on. So one point we need to remember about sanctification is that we will always be in process in this life. And yet, Paul says, that doesn't lead him to despair. Instead, he presses on. And the language there for press on is, is athletic or even violent. It has the, the aim of, of pursuing something to lay hold of it. Often in the New Testament, that, that word is translated persecute. It's the word that, that Paul uses elsewhere where he says where he hunted Christians down, where he pursued them, he pressed after them in order to lay hold of them. Paul knew that he would would not be perfect on this side of eternity, and yet he also said that he pursued Christ, pursued sanctification violently. And the point here being that even though we know that we won't also reach sinless perfection, In the here and now, our mindset should be one of pressing on, of making progress in the Christian life. And again, this is great encouragement for us. Because this means that progress in the Christian life, progress in sanctification, is possible. Even though we will struggle, Paul lays out for us here that he presses on, and we are to press on. We can also grow in Christ-likeness, even though we won't be perfect. We have the ability and the responsibility to pursue it. The way that, that Paul combines these things reminds me of um, a conversation that we had not too long ago when we were discussing as a group at the Book and Ale, we were discussing Pilgrim's Progress. And, and Jeff made a very perceptive point in that conversation where he said that every time the, the pilgrims are met by a new person, they're always asked a couple questions. They're always asked, where have you come from and where are you going? Where are you come from and where are you going? In other words, have you, have you come through the gate? Do you have faith in Christ? Are you a genuine believer? Have you decided to leave behind sin and destruction? Secondly, and importantly, where are you going? Are you pressing towards Christ in Christ? In the story, are you headed towards the celestial city? And as he asked that question of the pilgrims over and over again, Bunyan is making the point that it's questions that we should ask of ourselves as well. Do we have genuine faith in Christ? Have we come through the gate? And today we need to ask, are we pressing on? Are we desiring and are we actually making progress in the Christian life? We need to press on toward Christ. In the same way that a farmer goes out and diligently cultivates his field and does his chores day after day after day, and yet realizes that all of the growth and all of the increase comes from God, we must pursue our sanctification with these two things in mind, that we will not reach perfection on this side of eternity, but that true progress is our responsibility, and is given to us in Christ. What brings these two ideas together is what Paul says at the end of the verse, that Christ has laid hold hold of him. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So Paul is not denying that salvation is 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 free, that salvation is from Christ, that justification is from Christ. But it is, in fact, because both our salvation and our sanctification have been accomplished for us in Christ that we can be saved so that we can respond to him in faith without relying on our works and so that we can be sanctified by responding in faithful obedience to him. All of our efforts in the Christian life are, as Paul told the Philippians earlier, we are not working for our salvation but we are working out our salvation that God has provided for us in Jesus the activity that Paul enjoins on us here is not the panic of someone trying to work up that which he is uncertain about but instead our conformity to Christ is the very reason it says here that Christ first laid hold of us and isn't that a comfort to know That Christ, just as he had first pursued Paul, first found him on the Damascus Road, that Christ first pursued you. And that his purpose in laying hold of you was conformity into his image. This is the reason that Christ came and took on human flesh, was that he might redeem us from the curse of the law, that he might bear all of our sins on the cross and rise from the dead. And in that resurrection, give us hope and a promise of freedom from sin and freedom from decay, freedom from bondage, for hope in the resurrection. This is the reason that Jesus came, so that you would be made new, not only so that you would go to heaven when you die, but that so that you would be saved from your sins, so that they would no longer have dominion over you here and now, progressively as life goes on, and then When we see him face to face fully and completely. To be free from our fallen bodies even. To be free from all of our illnesses and our pains and all the groaning of this present creation. And looking forward to being made completely new in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus came in his resurrection, accomplished all of these things for us in principle and promises all of these things to us. This is why Jesus laid hold of us. And that's a glorious truth. Look look what this did to Paul's motivation for sanctification in verse 13. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press forward. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When you've seen the glory of God in Christ... And you know deep in your bones the gracious purposes that he have, has for you. It gives you a singularity of desire and focus. Just like Paul had. The desire for Christ is that unifying hallmark of all of those who have begun to grow spiritually. That's what Paul said. One thing I do. One thing I press on toward. It's, it's the common one thing. In the scriptures, Jesus told the rich young ruler, there was one thing he lacked, which was having Christ himself. Jesus told Mary that one thing was needful, to be with Christ himself. One thing I do, Paul said, I pursue Christ. I press toward the Christ who has saved me. It was his focus daily. So we see our sanctification requires this singularity of focus even in the way that he says that he forgets those things that are behind. You see that he says, forgetting those things which are behind. And normally, we might think that this means that he is forgetting his sins, his past um, persecutions of the church or his past failings. But in, in the context of the chapter, the past things that Paul is forgetting and straining forward to are his spiritual successes. Any of those things that might make him believe that he had arrived or tempt him to trust in himself or tempt him to be sanctified by his own power. This passage is about humility and realism in assessing our spiritual maturity. The mature believer, Paul says, will not rest on past obediences, but labor to maintain purity and blamelessness to the day of Christ. In a way, there is a way that we need to forget even those accomplishments we've had in the past, while we can be thankful for them, while we can celebrate God's grace in our lives, we have to be careful not to succumb to the temptation to look at those things and believe that means that we've arrived or that we don't need to make progress today. Even though the power for our growth and holiness is from God, it must be intentional and motivated in order for us to pursue it rightly and that's what Paul does he pursues it he pursues it with great strenuous effort and that he says he is reaching forward that he is reaching forward and that word captures perfectly that translation captures perfectly that stretching out Paul's greek there Paul strains forward to knowing christ and the resurrection the same way that an olympic sprinter charges towards a finish line with all that he has that that language is one of strain of running of pursuing. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on Philippians, said, As he who runs a race never takes up short of the end, but is still making forwards as fast as he can, so all those who have heaven in their eye must still be pressing forward to it in holy desires and hopes, constant endeavors and preparations. End quote. Strenuous effort that Paul says that we have to put forth here. And those of you who are just finishing up with track season probably have a better idea than the rest of us of, of what, what Paul is, is getting at with this word. You can probably remember those races when you're in the middle of the race and your chest is burning and your muscles are straining and you, just, you, don't, even have, you don't have time to look around and know what the other runners are doing or what's going on in the stands. You're just locked in and focused on the finish line. and and putting out all of your energy, putting out all of your effort.
1: You're not even able
0: to be aware of the practices that you had that week. It's just muscle memory at that point. That's the kind of thing that Paul is getting at, going forward with everything that you have in order to pursue Christ. Paul pursued Christ in this way as a runner going to the finish. He told the Corinthians, I don't run aimlessly. I press forward for the goal of Christ. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, if this is what Paul says he's doing, if this is what the Scriptures enjoin on us, how can you reach forward for Christ? How do you pursue Christ daily? He's not specific. But I can tell you, that you need to be constant in the Scriptures. You need to be constant, constantly in the Word, reading the Bible daily. Some of you, I know um, there are many Bible plans out there, and some of you faithfully read the Scriptures daily, but I also know from talking that, that some of you, this, you're at the Scriptures few and far between. But we cannot strain forward and mature in Christ if we're not encountering Him in the Scriptures daily, if we're not encountering with the Scriptures regularly. You need to encounter Christ in the Word preached and in the worship of His people, gathering in fellowship in the way that God works in a very particular way in His people in gathered worship. Through the Word preached, through our prayers, through our singing, through taking the Lord's Supper together, in this way we can also pursue Christ we can fellowship with his people we talked just a few weeks ago about having edifying conversations and and bringing those spiritual truths that we are learning to one another in the body to help disciple one another in Ephesians 4 Paul says that is how the body is edified how it's built up in love is when we take what we are learning in the scriptures and we teach and we admonish and one another that's another way that we can stretch forward in Christ. And we need to stretch forward for Christ in prayer by spending time with Him, communing with Him, learning from His example as Christ often went out into desolate places to pray, often got away from the crowds to pray, carving out that time to be in communion with the Father through Jesus. And we also need to take what we learn here in the Scriptures and put our sins to death being instructed from God's word, how we ought to live, and making every effort, as Peter says, to grow in grace. Matthew Henry continued in his commentary saying, Heaven is here called the mark, because it is that which every good Christian has in his eye, and as the archer has his eye fixed upon the mark he designs to hit, heaven Is the prize of the high calling, the prize we fight for and run for and wrestle for. It is what we aim at in all we do and what will reward all of our pains. It is of great use in the Christian course to keep our eye upon heaven. This is proper to give us measures in all of our service and to quicken us in every step we take. And it is of God from whom we are to expect it. Eternal life is the gift of God, but it is in Christ Jesus. Through his hand, it must come to us as is procured for us by him. There is no getting to heaven as our home, but by Christ as our way, End quote. Remember what Paul said, that he seeks to be conformed to Christ by the power of Christ's spirit on the grounds of Christ's righteousness given to him as a free gift. And so when we talk about reading in the scriptures daily, when we talk about singing, when we talk about edifying one another in conversation, and coming, uh, coming to worship, we're talking about coming to encounter Jesus. Not to do it as a, as a list of rules or a checklist or a mere dead letter, but coming to the Word in order to see Jesus and to be transformed. The upward call of God in Christ, he says in, in verse 14, is his do- goal. So nothing in this is autonomous, nothing in it is impersonal. When you come to the Word or to the prayer to worship, we should be looking for Christ and asking God to make us like His Son. Paul concludes section in verses 15 and 16 saying, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So Paul has a play on words here when he says that all of us who are mature will have this mind. That's nearly the exact same word that he used earlier when he said that he was not already perfected. That's they, they share the same root. So basically he's saying, I am not already perfected, and all of those All of those uh, who are perfect will think this way. So I have not achieved perfection, but the perfection of thought is to realize that and to press towards Christ. The mature Christian heeds the exhortation in Hebrews to fix his eyes on Jesus and continues forward every day. And what these verses show us is that the mature Christian making progress in, in sanctification, making progress in holiness is constant the ground that he makes up in the Christian life, he holds. Particularly in the basics of the faith. This again, in Pilgrim's Progress, is one of the grave dangers of turning back, of leaving the path. To mature in Christ, the ground that you take, you must hold. This is what he means when he tells us that to the degree that we have attained, we should continue in it. And although we're we're aware of how far we have to go if we're maturing in Christ. We're constant in our pursuit of him, in those things that we do in order to pursue him. In our prayer, in our scripture reading, in our worship, at whatever level it may be, we continue in it and we build on it. We don't vacillate. In fact, that's, that's a, a great sign of immaturity is to swing from a great pendulum of you know, doing all all night prayer and trying to read the entire Bible in a week, and um, just trying to do great things, and then great periods of moral and spiritual laxity, and just pendulum swinging back and forth is a sign of immaturity. the The one who is making progress in the Christian life, we're told here, is one who is constant, one who holds to what he has already attained. In other words, we want to become the kind of people who are who can do the basics without thinking about it. That our, that our scripture reading, that our communing with Christ in prayer is habitual. And thus eliminates one of the common barriers to sanctification to pursuing Christ is that thought that it's, it's just too hard, that we don't know all that we need to know, that we must undertake some impossible disciplines in order to pursue Christ. No. You just simply need to consistently do what you know how to do in Christ, one small step at a time, with great motivation and effort. Verses 15 and 16 won't allow a lack of understanding to be an excuse for us from doing what we do know to be the Lord's will. These final verses also demonstrate for us a a simple but often neglected principle that we should not only recognize of ourselves that we are on our way, that we are not complete, but that we should know that our brothers and sisters in the room here with us are the same way. He says, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you also. In other words, if anything, if any part of your life you do not have this mature mindset of forgetting what is past, the past sins, the past victories, and pursuing Christ. God will reveal that to you also. I trust the Lord will show that to you, and that you will learn to pursue Christ in that particular situation. So as long as our church is comprised of fallen and fallible people, there will be some of us in the room who try the patience of the mature believers, of those who have the mindset of pursuing Christ. And remember, one of the tests is, if you think that's everyone else that's getting on other people's nerves, then you are not yet complete, right? You are not yet one of the mature ones. We haven't taken on Paul's mindset. We need to know that that likely is us and extend grace to those around us. When we realize that, Paul's example shows us that we should trust such people to God's care and pray for them, and help them to pursue Christ in whatever that situation is. And so this is the, the concluding, this is the exhortation of the passage that Paul gives us here specifically, as he says, think this way. He says in verse 15, Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, and as many as desire to be mature, let us have this mind, let us think this way, in other words. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. We need to think this way as a group, as a, as a church. We need to let the future glory of being conformed to Christ and the resurrection at His coming be a consuming motivation for our life. We need to know that Jesus is... Death and resurrection gives us all of the grounds of justification and grace and acceptance with God the Father. And we need to know that the Christian life and maturity requires great, strenuous effort on our part right now, but knowing that it is God who is working in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And if anything, we think otherwise then may God reveal that to us also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus and his death and his resurrection and the free grace that you have given us in him. And we thank you for the power of your indwelling spirit. And we pray that you would give us a glimpse of the glory of your son so that we would be motivated to pursue him so that you might fulfill your good purposes in us, that we would be conformed into his image. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.